Hello and welcome to Wild Talks podcast. I'm Alex. And I'm Mary. We're your hosts from Wisdom and Wellness and we're so excited to have you join us on this enlightening journey. At WOW, we're on a mission to build a community of trust, support and knowledge. We want to break down barriers, challenge stereotypes and create space for genuine connections. So get ready for thought-provoking conversations as we dive into topics ranging from crystals and minerals to mental health and spirituality. We believe in the power of sharing wisdom to uplift and empower our community. Whether you're a wellness enthusiast or just starting your journey, this podcast is for you. Tune into Wow Talk to discover a wealth of insights, learn from inspiring guests that be part of the movement that is redefining wellness. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button and join us as we explore the many different facets of wellbeing. Together, let's break the mold and create a space where authenticity thrives and come and share your own wisdom on wellness. Following on from one of the most requested talks we posted, we are so excited to finally be able to share with you the big debate. I think most of you are now aware we had a very disappointing technical glitch at the show, but we were determined to share such important topics and information with you all. For those of you who are not able to attend the show, we have managed to get the panel back together again and to re-record this episode especially for you. Over to the wonderful Gemma, who is hosting our guest panel for you today. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. My name is Gemma Petherbridge, and I hosted the Great Ethics Debate at the actual event. This is third time lucky because, as Alex has alluded to, sadly, the, the sound wasn't perfect. Today, though, we are aiming for absolute perfection. So we started with the talk when we were on stage introducing each other. So I'm going to invite Aid to go first. Aid, would you like to introduce yourself and share a little bit about your business? Yeah, so um, I'm Adrian Rose. I'm one half of uh, Northwest Crystals. Um, the better looking half um, isn't here at the moment. Um, but yeah, we started in the industry 20, sort of four years ago, um, had a little bit of a hiatus and then came back a few years ago. And yeah, we've got uh, shops in Lancashire and down in Truro. So it's a bit of a, a long drive to work some days. That's a really long drive. Just getting yeah. there. That's your day done. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Brilliant. Okay. Ricky? Cool. I'm uh, Ricky. I'm one half of Carpe Crystals. Um, Carpe Crystals has been going now for about four years and um, we're extraordinarily hot on ethics and what that means in this industry. Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Ryan and I am Crystal Noir. I'm not half. <laughs> Everyone else. Vix is going to kill me. <laughs> I can see how face. <laughs> Um, so yes, we're based up in Stourbridge in the West Midlands, so commutable for everyone. Um, I mean, Abe can stop on his way between shops, to be fair. Um, but yeah, we specialise predominantly in African specimens, and I am a avid rock hounder, so I'm across the country digging it as well, uh, and that's who we are. Okay, guys, can we start with the first question we also started with at the show? Could you sum up for us what you feel ethics is? Ricky, do you want to go first? So ethics to us, especially in an unregulated industry such as ours, would be um, causing the least amount or avoiding, sorry, is probably a better word, avoiding um, harm to people or to the environment. Brilliant. Aid? I think I, I agree entirely. Um, I think it's, it's what Ricky said is a really good way to sum it up. Um, I think for us as well, we'd like to add in that um, ethics for us is also about future-proofing. Um, the industry mm. as well. Um, I think it's it's all well and good to dig a hole, um, but then what do you do with the hole afterwards? I think you know there's 
um, only one country in the world that I think actively kind of um, by law you have to fill in um, holes. So yeah, so for us, it is what Ricky said, as well as um, future proofing. But I think it's such a, a multifaceted question um, with so many little nuances that a simple answer, I think, just doesn't exist. I mean, that's an um, interesting point straight away. When you say one country, what country is that? Just so the um, listeners can be aware. That I know of in the research that I've done, um, only Peru at the moment um, has it legally statuted that if you dig a hole for mining, um, legally you have to fill it in. I think other countries say you have to, but there's no um, backward checks on those. As far as I'm aware, Peru is pretty much one of the only countries in the world that mm -hmm. it is legally mandated that you have to fill in any hole that you dig and then replant indigenous species back over the top of that as well. And that is then checked by government representatives. That's interesting. Ricky, did you want to add something to that point? Yeah, I was just hoping this wasn't going to be like the London Gemma Mineral Show when we've done it live on stage and just be just having three grown men just constantly agreeing. <laughs> like, I, I want to see some arguing today. Oh, we're, you're setting that one up. Let's see what happens. Ryan, can you disagree? Um, no, I say future-proofing. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, we, 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 we can't deny it. Um, I mean, to me, ethics is... It's about doing right by the people most affected. And of course, the people most affected are the people currently there, their children, their grandchildren, and so on and so forth, which is their environments. I mean, it's the whole earth, of course, in the, the long run, but it's their environments most impacted. Um, so unfortunately, Ricky, got to agree with Aid. And me, <laughs> by extension. By extension, by extension. <laughs> I mean, this is what happened throughout, wasn't it? That you guys thought that there were areas, and we will see, we will explore, there are a few areas where there are different approaches, different takes, but generally there is an overarching agreement. Aid, what well, would you I like think to add a, to that? I think that's a good thing. I think if we all agree, it means that we're all heading in the same direction. If we, mm. you know, just kind of argue back and forwards amongst ourselves, we're never going to solve anything at all just by arguing constantly. We see that all around the world all the time where people just bicker and moan. I think if there's three of us, three can become six, six can become 20, 20 can become a thousand. So I think as long as we all are going in roughly the same direction, I think that's a great thing. I think you just kind of argue and bicker for the sake of it, it's not overly productive. That is so true. That's so true. And I can see everybody else nodding away, agreeing. When we come together as a unit, that's when there's change, isn't there? Yep. Okay, taking that question a little bit further and focusing very much more on crystals especially, uh, Ryan, <coughs> could you start by suggesting how you would define or understand ethically sourced? Um, the term ethically sourced is nothing more than a market, marketing term. Um, Ooh, controversial straight away. <laughs> oh yes, straight in there. <laughs> um, and it's because as we've Kind of outlined just ethics is just not black and white it's mm. it's such a gray area there's comparing western standards versus um the standards of those countries there's um i say there's environmental impacts there's the future proofing it's just not black and white so to say anything is ethically sourced as just a capture just doesn't exist now i say there's ways as aid will will talk about um the new term consciously um no, that, that, that's the new term, but it's just basically about being mindful. Um, but yeah, ethical sourcing is nothing more than a marketing ploy. You aid. I think we're just going to spend all day agreeing. I can see you this coming up. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I think it is. Um, I think, unfortunately, um, 
an awful lot of crystal sellers who have kind of jumped on the ethical sourcing strap-on phrase um, in a in an attempt to to sell things. And and it is, you know, as, as as Ryan says, it is. It's just a marketing ploy. It's um, unfortunately there are so many sellers now that are claiming to be a hundred percent ethical or ethical sourcing. Um, we said about eighteen months, two years ago, that you would start to see as a business. We said. Um, say probably 18 months ago that you would start to see people dropping the term ethical um, because obviously as that kind of gets into the popular conscience and people start pulling it apart and really defining what it means it's going to be unfortunate that people can't use that phrase anymore because it is getting pulled apart um, and we um, specifically I said on one of our lives kind of probably 18 months ago you know, you watch people will stop using the term ethical and start using the term consciously sourced. And you can see that happening an awful lot in the industry now. Um, but it is it is one of those things. And you know, if you want to later on, you know, we can talk about um, certain sellers without mentioning any names that have used the, the phrase ethical sourcing or ethical seller. And then have completely backtracked on that and have actually owned up to the fact that it was nothing more than a marketing ploy. Which is such a shame. And that that change of phrase, what do you think that will do, especially for the customers? It feels like it will start getting them to maybe ask, ask a few more questions. Um, I, I would hope so. I would hope that mm. people ask questions all the time anyway. I would hope that um, just like in any other industry, you know, you wouldn't just go and buy a car just on the face value of it. You'd start asking some questions about it. Um, but I think the more questions can be asked, the better. Um, and I think, again, we will discuss this later on, but I think that if you just take at face value the fact that somebody is ethical, um, I think maybe you should really go away and do a bit more research on what really ethical slash conscious, consciously really means. Brilliant. Thank you, Aid. Ricky? Um, yeah, so, so again, it's, it's much the same as the initial question. It would be avoiding harm to people of the environment. Now, where the waters get muddy, is where people start saying, I'm 100% ethical, I'm 100% ethical, I have 100% track and trace, um, I'm 100% anything. It's, it's, it is impossible to achieve 100% ethicality or to achieve 100% track and trace. Now, if a seller is stating either of those two things, they have a duty of candor to actually prove that to you. And if they can't do that, they need to stop using those terms immediately. Um, Adrian, over to you. Yeah, I think, sorry, just to kind of follow up on it, I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I think a, a classic and pointed example of that is um, when you talk about it's impossible to track and trace something. You know, th there are people out there that are selling crystals that are being claimed to be a thing. Um, I think classically, one of the ones that's doing the rounds at the moment is things like polished Lemurians. Um, where people are saying that their quartz is 100% guaranteed polished Lemurian. Well, how do you know? How do you know that that thing started off as a Lemurian crystal? And if they, they, they take tons of the stuff out of the ground and then each piece is then, you know, bashed and polished and shaped and Lord knows what else until it eventually gets to kind of the, the end user or the end buyer. How do you know that that piece that you're saying is Lemurian is the same Lemurian that was dragged out of the ground? Because you cannot, cannot absolutely and abjectly follow that single piece of quartz from source to table. It just doesn't happen. 
For those who may be questioning, well, um, what's the difference? Could you explain to them, Aid, what a Lemurian is when it's found in the ground and therefore why a polished one would be questionable? Yeah, um, so um, a Lemurian quartz, um, some people may be aware of it. Uh, Lemurian quartz are kind of fairly specific formation of quartz where um, it is a, a, a pointed piece of quartz, if you like, that then has what are colloquially known as barcode lines on the side. Mm. Um, the the belief is that they were, um, and, and they're called Lemurians because they were allegedly um, kind of created and encoded with information from an ancient race of beings called the Lemurians. That in itself is a bit of a nosnome if you actually look at the real history behind where the term Lemurian came from. Um, however, the lines themselves are actually what are known as a muso growth, which is actually certain axis of a crystal will grow upright and then will turn in and then will grow upright and then will turn in. And that's how that growth formation um, forms. And that is a, a highly desirable crystal. So why on earth you would then take that and polish off all of those lines? Because if you do believe that those lines are some encoded information, by polishing it, all you're doing is wiping off that encoding if you believe that that is, is, is an encoding within the crystal. Hmm. So let's not forget as well that again, going back to uh, Lemurian, <clears throat> that a Lemurian can only be called a Lemurian if it comes from the Diamantina region in Brazil. Um, now, the word or phrase Lemurian has just been piped up and just popped in front of any sort of, I mean, you've got Lemurian Aquitaine. It's got nothing to do with Lemuria. You've got Lemurians out of Colombia. It's got nothing to do with the Diamantina region in Brazil. You've got Lemurians out of Madagascar. It's got nothing to do with Lemurians. Now, I saw somebody the other day selling amethyst Lemurians, and it was a root. Yeah. That's physically impossible. That cannot happen. So people are putting the word Lemurian in front of crystals as a marketing ploy. And, and, th and then, like you say, Adrian, polishing off that coding is almost like deleting the information that's supposedly been left for us. It's the modern-day equivalent of um, Control-Alt-Delete. Like, why would, you, why would you want to do that? If you had a Lemurian, the value is in it, in the crystal habit being a Lemurian. It is not in the word. So why would you delete that information off of it and actually reduce its value by polishing it? It's not something any, any miner would actually do. Oh, guys, you're getting me. As the crystal healer in the group, I'm like, I could give a different take on history that brings Lemuria in as a potential. So I'm like, aid, I, I know, but I also know about the the island that you, I've heard your chat that you talk about, so I get your side of it as well. And Ricky, um, Lemurian aquatine calcite is a raised vibration of blue onyx. So again, I'm like, oh, I could join this debate on a whole different theme, but I will focus on what you guys are saying. Go for it, Ricky. So again, when a trade name is, is exactly that, it's a trade name. So a trade name protects the locality of where the crystal came from. So mm -hmm. for example, Super 7 or Melody Stone, um, and that protects where Super 7 or Melody Stone come from. Brandberg, for example, protects the name Bramberg and that crystal coming out of that locality. Eupolite as well as another one. Eupolite can only come from Lake Michigan, but you get a Chinese equivalent that's banded around with Eupolite. Lemuria, Super 7, uh, Unicorn Stone, all, all things like this, all trade names protect the locality from where they came from. So when people start putting Lemurian Aquitaine or Lemurians from Colombia or Lemurians from Madagascar, to me, it's just a sales point. 
I do agree that there isn't lemurians from places like Madagascar. But the other bit, I'm like, I'm holding on to blue onyx being one. Aid, go go for it. Yeah, just kind of finishing off that that Lemuria thing. I think people need to, um, as as Ricky alluded to, people need to really realise that calling something a Lemurian formation doesn't necessarily make it a Lemurian. If mm. if the say if if a crystal has those um, Y and Z axis formations that create the Muso lines. They can still have that, and I've seen examples from Pakistan, from India, from the Himalayas, from all over the world. It doesn't necessarily make it a Lemurian, but what it does do is it has the Lemurian-type muso lines on it. It just doesn't come from a specific mine. That right, makes so, a lot of sense. It sounds very yeah. similar to a Herkimer <clears throat> diamond and say a double terminated from India. Exactly, yeah. Like exactly, that. yeah. So 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 Herkimer diamonds technically can only come from Herkimer County, New York, but they are found all over Pakistan and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, again, it comes back to the original question of ethics is we've seen people selling those. We refer to them as Perkimer, so they're Pakistani Herkimer diamonds. We refer to them as Perkimer. That's a good phrase. Well, that's, that's what they're called, literally called Perkimers. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's... Um, so, so we've been calling them Perkimers for God, twenty odd years since since we've been importing them from uh, from India and Pakistan, well, from Pakistan twenty years ago, um, and yeah, they look exactly the same, almost. They look exactly the same to a degree. There's a bit more clarity in 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 the Perkimer ones, or sorry, in the Herkimers than there is the Perkimers. But again, it goes back to that ethicality thing where we've seen people selling Perkimers that should be fifty p as genuine Herkimers, claiming that they're fully ethical, and they're just not. That's, not- that's another really good example, actually, of, of polishing. So um, I saw, again, somebody fairly recently selling Herkima bracelets that were beaded. <laughs> now actually tell me it's a Herkima <laughs> because it could just be a piece of quartz with the inclusion in it. What makes it a Herkima or a Perkima is the double, termina- double terminated diamond formation that you mm-hmm. see. Without that, you cannot identify it as a Herkima or a Perkima because it's just a quartz. There's a quartz-based crystal that then somebody is polished and selling at a higher price, selling it as a Perkima or a Herkima. You would have no need to polish a Perkima or a Herkima because that is where the value is in the name, not in the shape. Hard question because I'm asking you to just like do it on the fly, but can anyone give a suggestion of the price difference between a Herkima and a Perkima? Because there's a big massive. difference, isn't there? Absolutely massive, huge. Yeah. Um, I mean, a... A five to ten millimeter genuine Herkima can be anywhere from twenty pounds to a hundred pounds. I've seen them. Mm. Um, a five to ten millimeter Perkima is about fifty p. Yeah. Yeah. So a Herkima bracelet from Herkima, they don't exist. Nobody makes them. A Perkima bracelet from Pakistan, they retail for anywhere between sort of thirty and forty five pounds. And then the polished varieties that you see, you can pick up for around ten to fifteen pounds. So if you're Herkimer or Herkimer bracelet is around 10 to 15, maybe even 20 pounds. It's it's not real. Mm. Okay, moving on. When we did this as the live in front of everybody, I asked you to all talk about a case study that you're particularly passionate about and then invite in the other two to also give their feedback and their ideas. So we started with Ryan who very much spoke about cobalt in the Congo. And I was asking you, Ryan, why is that in the media so much? What's going on? And what is the ethical issues going on in that location? Yeah, so um, 
I think before I started talking about the cobalt, I was basically saying that the Congo itself has been in the media, well, since the media existed predominantly, um, because it is the richest resource of, well, richest place on the planet of natural resources. My cats are killing each other. There we are. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's the, the richest part of the planet for natural resources. And with that, and with kind of diamonds, it's had such a long history of ethics, slave trading, child mining, um, you, you name it. So it's always had a heavy media coverage and a heavy charity coverage. Um, so they kind of go hand in hand. Now, where cobalt's come into it, cobalt is what I call the new arms race. Um, it's the key ingredient, effectively, for the technological revolution of electric vehicles, mobile phones, uh, you name it. It's the, the key resource. Um, so, of course, with that, there's some really, really big names, big governments, big investments all involved within um, the cobalt industry. Um, so, of course, with that, there's, there's a, I mean, I, I, I don't even think you could say billions. I think it's trillions of pounds. Um, so it's going to have heavy, heavy media coverage. Now, the ethical problems, what lie within that, is uh, a lot of these mines are actually uh, operated by Chinese organisations. It's not just Chinese. And as I say, there's governments around the world which are backing it. So there's no um, bad character, particularly. It's everyone. But basically what's happening is there's a, there's a lot of health and safety. So there's a lot of deaths around the mines. They get swept up, covered. Um, there's a big documentary the BBC did where they families were looking for their children and basically they'd just been covered in dirt and hidden. Um, there was, I mean, the, the communities and villages all around, their water sources are getting poisoned by all of the cobalt bleeding out into the land. Um, they're actually not employing the villages and towns locally and they promised to increase their infrastructure, build them houses, say, uh, fresh water sources, uh, education, etc. And that's just not happened. They're basically just desolating the uh, surrounding villages. Does anyone else want to add to this? Agree, disagree? Yeah, I think that um, when we go back to kind of bringing it back to a crystal context again, um, it's, it's important to understand that a lot of the crystals that we get and it, it does relate directly um uh, to the drc that you know when people claim to be ethical and then sell things like kundalini citrine the kundalini citrine is often a, a secondary byproduct of actually mining for things like coltan lithium etc and um often those crystals are mined by you know kind of very small children and it, you know you only need to spend 30 seconds googling um mm. the darker side of the crystal trade within the congo and you'll find that you know the average age of a miner in the congo is seven years old and they're the ones that are pulling um you know this kundalini citrine out of the ground and then it's being sold for vast amounts of money on on, on the internet um so again it's another one of those red flags are you ethical yes do you sell kundalini citrine yes Okay, well, the two just don't go hand in hand. Ricky? So with um, particularly with any mineral from the DRC at the moment, what we must remember is that a lot of the minerals that end up in our industry are byproducts of the bigger mines. So things like malachite, for example, is probably the prime one. You can say you can you'll hear people say that they've got their own mining community of malachite out in the Congo, but that unfortunately just isn't the case the malachite that ends up in this industry is purely out of the bigger mines in the drc and then it's sent off to i don't know china or madagascar or somewhere like that to be carved into little elephants and 
frogs and things like that and they, they end up on our shelves so there are there are people out there at the moment with a malachite elephant frog rhino on their shelf at the moment at home that has been mined by an eight-year-old that probably is no longer alive and to me that is extraordinarily sad yeah i think just to um kind of carry on with that one obviously you know we are here to talk about the ethics of things and the ethics of crystals um it was quite interesting when we did um the original um, discussion at the show and we asked for a show of hands of people of you know the, the, the i think i think ricky posed the question you know um how important are ethics when it comes to people's choice of crystals and i think less than 20 percent of the audience put their hands up which was quite sad to see but it, it's an extension of where we can pick up and drop a narrative as and when we see fit you know people go oh, i really want ethical crystals and this is a line i've said several times before when was the last time that you went into um a, a phone shop and said um you know have you got any ethical phones and it's just it's one of those things it, it's a line that we've used quite a lot um no one's ever done that but then people ask about ethical crystals both of which raw materials are sourced by the same people in the same holes in the same ground in the same country so uh those two crystals malachite and kundalini citrine could somebody suggest some alternatives for people I will interject slightly there on the Kundalini Citrine, as it is possible to source it, I'm going to say consciously, not ethically. So Kundalini Citrine, so the miners themselves, uh, although kids are used, that is an absolute fact. Uh, they are paid tuppence. That Again, that is absolute fact. The best stuff goes off to China. Absolute fact. Uh, the worst quality stuff is destroyed to keep the quality or the price high for um, the Chinese mine owners. Now, in some of the Kundalini mines, especially in the Wenna, uh, it is possible for, well, miners have got agreements where they work three weeks for the mine owner and one week for themselves. And the week that they work for themselves, they are allowed to keep uh, what they find, providing it falls into a certain uh, category, i.e. the worst 20%, for example. So you can buy that stuff, but again, that it's, it's entirely depends where, where you sit. I yeah, the um, I mean, statistically, actually, the largest amount of Kundalini citrine actually goes to North America as opposed to China. Yeah, and, it sold, and, and it is sold um, through North American distributors um, for just vast, incomprehensible amounts of money compared to the people that are digging it out of the ground. Yeah, the thing that gets me is they destroy it if it isn't good mm. enough quality and do not let the miners sell it. That is just yeah. uh, that just seems a little bit backwards to me. Yeah, it, it's part of the artificial inflation, isn't it? You know, if you keep everything high grade, you can keep everything high price, mm. which is a shocker. It really is a shocker. What about a suggestion for malachite? Um, Irongo in Namibia is really, really good. Um, again, there's some amazing mines in China that are producing some beautiful cat's eye um, malachite as well. You, China. Q AIDS question. Okay, so aid. I know that your business choose to source some of your crystals from China, mm -hmm. where other businesses may not choose to do that. Could you explain the reasoning and why you got to that point, that decision? Yeah, so we um, probably about 40% thereabouts um, of the things of the crystals that we sell are sourced from China. Um, the rest would come from a mixture of predominantly um, India, Pakistan, um, and a few other sort of small lo localities like Indonesia, South America, etc. Um, 
the reason that we 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 choose um or actually before i talk about the reason why we choose um china it's interesting um to note that a lot of people say that you know i don't get stuff from china i don't like china you know china's terrible and actually when you look at what they're selling it is all chinese stuff you know there's a hundred and one different people that you see on instagram saying oh i'll, I'll never use china china's terrible and actually when you look at what's on their sales table it is all 100 percent guaranteed from china um you know you, you you can see how things are cnc milled you know people who claim that all of you know their their things are you know hand carved by artisanal carvers and it's nonsense because they all look exactly the same and they're all just cnc milled um, in a factory in china and is so that a believe. clue when you look at someone's sales table and you're saying i know within the industry we all start to identify the shape of a crystal mm -hmm. by its location there's all sorts of different ways you can tell isn't there but if someone as a customer is looking at someone else's stock how can they tell it's china i mean to be honest it all looks the same it, it's mm. it's a bit odd i mean you get there's certain shapes that will come from certain countries so brazil is very famous for doing the kind of teardrop shield shape um free forms of things china is very big on things like um, carved dragon heads um, and they all just look exactly the same unicorn heads fox heads those kind of things um but yeah they just they just look exactly the same and they are 100% done in china there's no doubt about it and you know for people that claim that they don't get it from china again it's just it's a false narrative um you know because they, they're trying to jump onto that again they're just another bandwagon of all you know china's evil and it is it, it's very low-hanging fruit and it's very easy to blame china for you know a lot of the issues in the world today uh, especially when it, when it comes to china and there does seem to be a bigger narrative within the media anyway about blaming china for everything that's bad in the world but the reality is um if we turned off china as a supplier probably 90% of the companies in Britain that are selling crystals would fold almost overnight. Um, China has a massive, massive setup and in industry for um, importing, processing and reselling of crystals. That's been built up over um, probably about the last 10 or 15 years. Um, for those of you who don't know, there's a, a massive city in China called Crystal City. Uh, it's a place called Donghai. Donghai, um, at the last count, Donghai in employs about 300,000 people within the crystal industry. At any given time, the, the big crystal malls in China have approximately a thousand individual sellers going from shop to shop to shop to sell things. And that's just a good way of, of, of young people working themselves out of poverty. China in the 80s had, um, well, sorry, in the early 90s, sorry, um, China had an 80, 80 percent poverty rating which is phenomenal poverty rating being anything less than one dollar 29 a day according to um, the world banking authority um china's poverty rating is now at 0 0.7 percent and you know you can't attribute all of that obviously to the crystal industry but you've got hundreds of thousands of people that are employed within that crystal industry and they do it really 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 well and i think to blame china for the world's woes is a little bit like blaming what uh, when it comes to the crystals blaming china is a little bit like blaming you know the dessert spoon for somebody being overweight it's just mm -hmm. an end result everybody out there that wants to buy crystals will buy them from somewhere and if they weren't buying it from china they'd be buying it from um you know factories in india or in africa or somewhere it just so happens that china seemed to have really got themselves behind how to import 
process and resell crystals in a very um, uh, efficient way. One of the one of the we we only actually use two sellers from China, two very very small sellers. One of them was a young girl. She worked for a huge big company in China. They treated her really badly, so she left and started her own side hustle. We left the big company and went with her because we wanted to work with her um, as a single female who was trying to make work for herself. Um, her mom about. A month ago, was hit by a car, broke her back, was hospitalized mm-hmm. without her ability to work within the crystal industry and sell crystals independently. She would not be able to afford the $18,000 hospital bill that her mom has got because of the broken back. Oh, and that's oh, one, of, one of the primary reasons that, you know, that, that we choose to use um, China again is, um, is as a price point. And, you know, for all of us that sit here and, you know, we can talk... Um, you know, quite flippantly about um, ethics and, and what have you. Price point has a huge point in this. And if you were to say, okay, well, let's going let's not have the production in China or India or Africa, and let's have it in England, where there's really nice health and safety, and there's factories, and there's high vis, and there's breathing apparatus, and there's this, and there's that. And people have lovely lunch breaks, etc. Your palmstone that you don't want to pay any more than five pound for, all of a sudden, is going to be twenty, twenty-five pound purely because of that westernized health and safety kind of label that we have have to put on things. Before I hand over to Ricky to give his opinion, can I just go a little bit deeper on, like you've just alluded to, there's loads of different companies that you could maybe consider as your suppliers in China, and you've suggested one. Is there key things that you would look out for within the masses of a good supplier? Yeah, so before we even buy from anybody, um, we want to see the factories or the supply chain that, um, that we come from. And so the, the, the particular, the one young lady that, that, that we deal with, it's actually her brother-in-law. Um, he actually owns a factory where they cut um, a lot of the stones um, into various shapes. Um, so we've actually had a tour of his factory. Uh, likewise, we've had a tour of the, a lot of the other factories as well. That doesn't cement everything in reality. You know, I think anybody that sits there and says, I've seen every single factory and every single mine of, of and everything. And it goes back to what, you know, Ricky quite rightly said about, you know, track and trace. You can't track and trace every single thing. It's just impossible. And anybody that sits there and says, I've seen every mine and every stone that's come over every mine and I've seen every stone that's gone into a factory and been polished. It just isn't true. It just isn't true. But yes, we we, we choose to use smaller more independent individuals because we would rather do that um than give to larger corporations in the same way that i'm sure all of us agree that you know we should all shop local rather than giving to huge great you know firms within britain yeah yeah ricky would you like to offer yeah i mean i completely we do not carpe crystal the company do not buy from china um all the, the reasons that I listed are absolutely great. And I think price point is probably the main reason that people shop from or buy from China. Now, for us, we do try to take ethics or consciously sourcing as seriously as possible. So there are certain prerequisites that to trade with us companies must meet. Um, and where China falls short every single time is being able to prove where the raw material has come from. Um, so until there is something like aid says until there is some sort of process somewhere where we can physically trace where every single crystal has come from and see its journey before it ends up in donghai in china then us as a company will not use them hey do you want to reply yeah i i think like i said i think you can't blame the 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 end of the line for the problems at the start of the line you know you, you you know you can say you know that china is terrible because they don't know where it comes from or you can't trace it 
But then a lot of the stuff that comes out of China is from Madagascar. You only have to look at the appalling environmental record of, of Madagascar. And you can't say, well, you know, Madagascar is better than China because at least I know where it comes from. Mm. It, it, you, you, like I said, you know, you, you're almost blaming the dessert spoon for being overweight. It just isn't the case. You can't blame China for the fact that, you know, crystals aren't track and traced when you look and when half of the stock that they sell comes from Madagascar, which has got an appalling, appalling environmental track record. I was going to ask, could you suggest some more on that? Give some more details so people understand why we're now bringing in Madagascar. Yeah, I mean, Madagascar, and I'm, I'm really sorry. I think uh, Ryan's not really getting a shout in here. I'm really sorry, Ryan, for taking up all the time. Um, but I think... Um, Madagascar all of a sudden seems to have had this massive explosion of kind of crystal and mineral wealth. And it's interesting that a lot of the crystals in the world actually are, as we said earlier on, byproducts of other things. So a lot of, you know, things like fluorites come from lead mines and tin mines and what have you. You've got um, uh, Kundalini citrine that, that comes from, you know, the cobalt mines. But Madagascar is fairly unique in the fact that the mines there are set up specifically for crystals. Mm. Um, and it is, it's an environmental disaster, absolute disaster. And you can dress it up any way you want, but it is an environmental disaster in what's going on um, in Madagascar at the moment. Um, Kate, um, oh, God, I can't remember her second name now. Um, but the, uh, Sky News did a uh, an investigation into the, the mines in, in Madagascar. And um, what they found was there were 500,000 people working in illegal mines in Madagascar, trying to find things like sapphires and rubies. Um, logging was made um, illegal um, and clearing for mines was made illegal in 2015 because of the huge environmental impact it was having on indigenous species, namely the lima, which is where mm. you get the term Lemurian from, which is actually named after the, the lemurs. Um, and yet still in 2017, those 472 acres were, you know, were knocked down to make way for mines where we source or, you know, China can source or lots of other companies source things like polychrome jasper, ocean jasper, rose quartz, etc. from. Brilliant. Thank you, Aid. Okay. Ryan, I was getting around to inviting you Sorry, in. Ryan. I do promise. <laughs> Would you like to add anything? Yeah, I was just going to say um, with China, because... We 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 use China solely for carvings. It's the best mm. place on the planet to get carvings from. There's there's no argument, bar actual truly handcrafts masters. Uh, but for a CNC carvings, you're just not going to get better than China. Um, I mean, we've seen things from India, Pakistan, etc. And it's quite simply the infrastructure in those countries just doesn't quite meet Chinese mm. standard. Um, the biggest giveaway we can say for towers is 90, 95% of towers out of China will be perfectly straight. Out of India, I'd probably say 60%. You've, you've got what we call it the Indian wonk. <laughs> like, it, it, it's, it's a very That sums it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I the, Indian, the Indian wonk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, we unbox and we're like, yeah, yep, you can see it's from India. <laughs> but um, no, of course. With Africa, we do source a lot from Madagascar as well. Um, so, you know, we are aware, but it's interesting because we can see some things uh, from Chinese suppliers what are from regions we source from in Africa, regions we source from in Madagascar. And it's honestly, it's crazy. You can buy, for example, rose quartz direct from Madagascar. And I'm just going to throw figures out. These are not representative of the market. You could pay £40 a kilo for a rose quartz from Madagascar from the source. 
but then you can go to China and buy rose quartz for £20 a kilo. And as Aid says, what it comes down to in this industry, and with a lot of industries, it's price points. Because uh, I think the best way to look at it is even free-range eggs. Everyone says they want free-range eggs, but I can guarantee you more standard caged eggs sell, and it's because they're cheaper. And it's it's the exact same thing in this industry. That really sums it up. That's a really good example. Thank you. The price difference. And it probably is about half, if not sometimes much more than that. Mm. It is now it is now cheaper for us to buy um, amethyst geodes from China than it is Brazil. It is cheaper to get them from China than it is to get them direct from source, which is absolutely really? right. Yeah. Mm. You need to find a new supply route then, parts. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll let you know one. Don't worry. I'll, I'll let you know something that's really good from Brazil. Networking. Love it. Love it. Okay, Ricky, we're moving on to a topic that I know that you're very passionate about, and that is lapis lazuli and very particularly its connection to the Taliban and what the media are saying about that. So would you like to share? So first of all, to understand lapis, we must first understand what a conflict mineral is. So in the industry, there are uh, four conflict minerals. So tin, tungsten, tantalanium, and gold. They're known as the three T's and a G. However, um, there are some minerals that have been missed off of that list that are really quite obvious as well. So diamonds, for example, blood diamonds are an absolutely huge thing, and they cause untold misery the world over. Um, even though you can actually lab grow a diamond, would you like your diamond with some extra misery or would you like it completely ethical? Uh, most people actually pick the one that's got misery attached to it for whatever reason, I do not know. Then you've got things like malachite, sal rose, lithium, and then lastly, lapis. Now, lapis is a huge one in the industry at the moment because it does, and I don't care what you say, lapis does fund Taliban. Somewhere close to 100% of lapis mined today funds the, funds the Taliban. So 1970s to the year 2000, around 40% of lapis mined in those two timeframes would fund the Taliban, either directly or indirectly. 20, uh, sorry, 2000 to 2016, somewhere around 70 to 80% of lapis mined would fund the Taliban, either directly or indirectly. 2016 to today is close to 100%, somewhere around 99, 99.5% of lapis will in some way either fund the Taliban directly or indirectly. And what we mean by that is that ever since the American army exodus in 2016, Taliban moved back in and took over 100% of the mines, 100% of the mines. So what happens is the Taliban either own the mine solely, uh, their strongmen do, or the lapis on export then funnels back through to the Taliban and is used to fund uh, is used to fund terrorism and things like that. Now, in 2016, um, a report by a company called Global Witness, who are an NGO, a non-government organiza organization, actually suggested to the world's governments, including the United Nations, that lapis should be upgraded to a conflict mineral. And that says something when um, a mineral like lapis is going to be included into a list on the three T's and the G. So if we don't have diamonds included on that list and we don't have malachite, copper, lithium and cobalt included on the list, but the discussion is there to have lapis included in that list, that shows you how seriously the world's governments are taking it. So if somebody is telling you that they have a modern day lapis carving, I don't know, a skull, an elephant, a frog or something like that, and they're telling you that it's ethical, I'm sorry, but they are trying to pull the wool over your eyes. It is an impossibility now to get lapis out of Afghanistan 
ethically. It cannot be done. But also, let's not forget that Lapis has been mined for 6,500 years. It hasn't always funded the Taliban. I mean, um, you've got Tutankhamun, for example. His death mask has Lapis on it. Kate Moss, or Kate, Moss, Kate Middleton, has a uh, Lapis brooch that she wears that is thousands of years old. So the problem then comes with how old is your Lapis? Now, prove to me how old your lapis is. If you can prove to me that your lapis is 100 years old, I mean, it's been traded for six and a half thousand years. Of course, not all of it that is out there in the, at the, in the world at the moment is unethical. But prove it. How old is that lapis in your hand? That lapis skull that's on your mantelpiece, that lapis elephant that's on your mantelpiece, that lapis bracelet that's on your wrist. Prove to me how old that is. You can't. It's impossible. So the best thing to do with lapis is to not buy it from Afghanistan. There are some other places where you can get it, Chile. Italy, Arizona, for example, but the quality is crap. The lapis that comes out of the Sarisang area of Badakhshan in Afghanistan is like it's the creme de la creme of like, absolute midnight blue, absolutely beautiful stone. But as soon as you attach some terrorism to it, I ain't interested. Mm. <laughs> I just don't want it. Sorry, go on. Um, Ryan. Ryan? Yeah, I'd just like to say we're, we're saying about the history that it's been mined for 6,500 years. I think the biggest problem going forward is, for example, if we were to say the Taliban were gone tomorrow, how much have they stockpiled? How much into the future is it still effectively going to have funded the Taliban? So it's not even a case of just an issue at the moment. It's an issue where if I say there's no, you know, we're not saying the Taliban are going to disappear, but how long after them? Because there is a stockpile of it now and there always will be. That's a very good point. Aid? Yeah, I think I think um, Ryan raises a really interesting point there about the kind of the age of it. I know um, all of the um, facts that Ricky put forward they're absolutely undeniably true. Um, and I was I had a conversation with a with a seller um, of, of lapis a couple of years ago, and they said, and I said, well, you know, and I started talking about, you know, did you know that this funds terrorism? No, I didn't. Okay, well. There is you've got a bit of a duty of care as a seller to know where your crystals come from, et cetera, et cetera, especially when you're you're claiming that you source ethically, which is kind of you know where where the conversation you know kind of originates from. Um and she said, No, 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 it's okay because I got mine before June when the Americans left. Which kind of really made me kind of screw up my face in disbelief, really, because back in 2006 um a huge solicitors firm called lee day who are the ones that are doing the mission scandal currently um they did a report for the telegraph back in 2006 that said that at that point um a fellow called abdul malek was actually garnering something in the region of 20 million dollars a year directly from um the lapis industry and some of the aquamarine and kunza industries and it was being funneled directly into um the Taliban coffers and I think as, as, as Ricky quite rightly said you know how, how do you know which bit of it you know they don't go okay well this was the stuff we mined pre-America in England and this is the bit we mined post-America mm. in England you know so these are the good bits and these are bad bits you, you just can't do that there is gigatons of this stuff in the market and to say that well you know my bit's okay again it's just a, a, an absolute false narrative and it is one of those kind of like we said earlier, you know, people are picking up and dropping ethicsizing when it suits them. I mean, certainly at the at the Gem and Mineral Show, there was a chap there selling um, uh, lapis, and we talked, you know, ad infinitum on both days about 
the bad ethics, for want of a better phrase, and that's probably terrible English, um, of Lapis and how it directly funds terrorism. It's not a maybe, it's not an if, it directly funds terrorism. But a fellow who was at the German Mineral Show had sold thousands of pounds worth of Lapis over that weekend. And it's, it, I find it really bizarre that in a world where everything is so forensic and the internet can give you so much information and there is direct cause and effect between the mining and selling of lapis and terrorism, that people are still choosing to spend thousands and thousands of pounds of lapis just at one show alone t- to have a crystal. I find it absolutely mind-boggling. As a collective, do you guys have any suggestions what people can look to instead of lapis? Because one thing I may suggest to people in a different context is to look at the antique options. But like Ricky has just suggested in this context, that is very complicated. Would you, is there anything else you would suggest? My my view would be just to look for an alternative. Mm. You know, you, you absolutely cannot guarantee the the efficacy or the traceability of lapis. So if you want lapis for a spiritual reason, a holistic and metaphysical reason, find another stone that does the same thing. Well, like I say, you can get it out of Italy, Arizona mm. and Chile, but the quality isn't as good. So if you really do want lapis, get it from there. If you don't care, get it from Afghanistan. That's entirely, it's entirely up to you. But what your seller has a duty to do if they are, I don't know, preaching 100% track and trace or 100% efficacy, prove it. Now, quite famously, there's a story going around um, about these famous two brothers who um, get their lapis directly out of Afghanistan and take it back to Pakistan and then carve it there into bracelets that are then sold at £12 completely ethically because that's worth risking your life over. Now, that story really does need looking at. So, these two brothers, so just two people, there isn't a team of them, there are just two. <laughs> they cross the border, or sorry, one of them crosses the border by a truck, presumably, into Afghanistan, gets through all the Taliban checkpoints, through what you can only assume will be bribery, so not ethical. So, and then he makes his way up to the top of Sarisan, which is up in the mountains, and then he uses this thing called fire set mining, which is great. It's a medieval form of mining where you set a rock on fire uh, via big logs and you let it burn for four or five days and then you quench it with water and that cracks the rock. Now, this mining that's done usually is, is done by a team of 10, 15, 20 people that are all massively hench. It would not be possible to do it by yourself. So anyway, let's go back. So he's avoided the Taliban. He's made his way up into the mountains. Now he's at the Sarisang area in Badakhshan, which is just crawling with Taliban mine owners and uh, and the likes. Now this guy's got to get a load of wood. As we know, um, the Sarisang area of Badakhshan is just teeming with trees. It's not. There are no trees up there. It is, it is the Alps. It is the mountain. There are no trees. So on his truck now that he's just um, come past the Taliban with, he's got a truck full of wood. So then he's got his wood, he's up in the mountains, now he's at the mines, he's got to go into a tunnel and he's got to set a fire inside of a tunnel, which we know is extraordinarily safe. There is no carbon monoxide when you start a fire inside of a tunnel. Then this fire burns for four or five days and he's sending out giant smoke signals now out to the Taliban, letting them know exactly where he is. Then after four or five days, this guy now has to get a load of water. Now think about that again. He's up in the mountains, he has to get a load of water that again, he's presumably carrying on his truck that he then takes down into the mines and he quenches all this rock with, and then he cracks the rock 
that's great, right? But how does he know how much lapis of such high quality is where he set this fire? Because when you actually crack rock using fire set mining you can only really crack it sort of this far and then you have to spend four or five days beating the living daylights out of it to try and just crack off a little bit to expose some lapis and then he's up there for four or five days and he's always 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 left with the most supreme quality lapis that the taliban don't know about he's just left with the most supreme quality lapis on the planet and then he loads up his truck and he drives past the taliban again through their checkpoints they don't check his truck for the lapis they don't have a look at that he just bribes them again so extraordinarily ethical then he gives it to his his brother in pakistan who then carves it into bracelets or elephants or skulls again the the whole story if you actually just look at this story this is a really really common story that goes around if you just look at this story and just look at each of the key facts in it it's extraordinarily easy to pull apart so if your seller is again is telling you these things or you hear this story from your seller question them on it can you prove it what is your brother what are these two people's names because do you know their names uh, because i guarantee you don't if you are claiming on this 100 ethicality then prove it get us a video of this of this story this journey and if they can't do that it's not ethical simple i think this is a good transition ricky to the next question because it kind of would be what i'd be asking you right now anyway is if we've got this these stories coming out and we do want to see the proof and I think that's key, isn't it? With this, it's very much about people listening right now who may be very passionate about crystals who are now questioning that. It's like, how do we make sure that they can trust in their purchases again? And we are going through a process. It's not that easy right now, is it? Just to say yeah. you can trust instantly. But what can they do? Who can they, what would they be asking these people to get that proof? Uh, I'd like to- um, Yeah, go first, definitely. Yeah. No, I, I, again, the, the question that you ask is, can you prove that? Can you show me some sort of video evidence of that? Um, yeah. And if, if they can't, don't buy it. It's, I think it's as simple as that. If that if that's what matters to you anyway. And that's only if the seller is screaming 100% ethicality or 100% track and trace. If they are, then prove it. I messaged um, uh, several sellers uh, pretending to be a customer that, that scream 100% ethicality or track or trace. I asked them to if I could use that track or trace service not a single seller got back to me with proof of that service, not a single one. Aid, what would you suggest? Yeah, I think again, the same thing is um, is try and dig for the facts. You know, there, there was a, an American statesman um, called John Adams who said that facts are stubborn things uh, and whatever our wishes and inclinations or dictates of our passions may be, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. And that's the thing. It, it, stop just taking somebody's word for it you might think that somebody might be you know a crystal guru or you know the, the second coming of the crystal messiah but just don't believe everything they said there are there are sellers out there that have this almost cultish following by claiming you know that they're 100 ethical and you know they work with tiny families and tiny corporations and they throw around this word artisanal which i hate i utterly detest the term artisanal because it kind of almost romanticizes the mining of crystals and you kind of have this image of this you know lovely guy with his little knapsack and his little rucksack <laughs> going off to work in a day and it just isn't the fact you know if you, if you look at the facts when, when you describe ryan like, sorry you've just described ryan 
Um, when you look at the actual facts of artisanal mining, what you've actually got, artisanal just means old fashioned. That's all it is. Artisanal just means they're not using JCBs. They've got small kids, 12, 13, 14 years old, going down holes that badgers can barely fit down in loose soil digging out crystals that's what artisanal means it isn't some romanticized beautiful journey of a man going off digging rocks somewhere um so for me again as, as ricky quite rightly said and i'm sure ryan would agree look for the facts ask for proof if you again i'll go back to the analogy of buying a car if you buy a car and somebody says yes it's mot yes it's this yes it's that you wouldn't go all right then You'd ask for the paperwork. You'd ask for some proof that what they're saying is absolutely true. And it, again, it goes back to what we said right back at the start, where an awful lot of sellers are using this false narrative or, you know, let's be fair, a lie, saying that they are ethical when they're absolutely not. I remember um, saying at the, the show when we kind of originally did this discussion that there was a, a very famous seller on Instagram, you know, 35, 36,000 followers, et cetera, et cetera. They claimed that they were the home of ethical crystals. That was their shtick. That's what they had on their website, you know, the home of ethical crystals. Six months ago or more, they released a video saying there is unequivocally no such thing as ethical crystals. They just don't exist. And the only reason that they said they were ever ethical is because if they didn't, everybody else is saying that they're ethical. And if they didn't, then they would lose sales. And that that is one of those facts that are stubborn and they stick. I rewatched. I rewatched that video the other day. It's still there. You can still mm -hmm. see it. I've got it on my phone. I recorded it. Okay. I think to help everybody listening understand and empower them to understand what they can do, I'm going to ask you all to give some suggestions of questions to ask. We'll start with Ryan. Ryan, if you're a customer, what would you ask, and what would you expect back from the seller? Um. I mean, my, my customers ask me, I don't, I don't know if it's just because I'm a geek, to be honest, and I love the actual geology and the localities things mm -hmm. are from. So people actually say, oh, where was this mined? And they're actually asking for a specific region. And for the most part, I can tell you the region or the mine. Um, that's, of course, the things I saw from Africa, things I saw from China. Um, I, I can't, and I'm very open about that. So I think that that's one key question, mm -hmm. uh, asking where it's from. But I think the Best thing you can do, um, because carvings are huge in this market, is ask for a video of the carving. Because uh, I say most carvings are CNC. People will tell you the hand carved, but they're not the CNC for the, for the most part. If they're not expensive, expensive predominantly means hand carved, or it means you're getting ripped off. It's one of the two. But you'll either get the seller saying, "Oh, I can get you a video if they don't already have one." or they're gonna completely shy away from it. They're shying away from it from excuses, kind of like, oh, they don't like to video their practice, it's protected or anything like that. It's a lie, because the fact is, especially with the day of the internet, every carver out there in um, third world countries, in you know places where there's poverty, they know if, they, if a video of them gets online and goes viral, their yield is gonna tenfold. So that it's never mm. going to be a protected video. Um, so I think it's just that. Ask for, say, your, your video proof and your localities. That's really interesting, Ryan, because between now and the show, I was thinking it's a shame I get the same response from suppliers that some of you get, which is I'll ask about their supply chain and they go quiet on me. So I'm presuming there is part of that supply chain they're not happy with. But now we're sharing pretty much every supply chain will have a problem. They they could potentially 
lose a customer where we would understand you know it's like okay you're as good as I can get I will go with you and you're kind of alluding to that that on their side maybe they would give the videos and it's the shops here that are a bit more coy mm. <clears throat> yeah I, I think you're right would anyone else add to that yeah essentially essentially there is nothing else you can do this all this information is only relevant if you care if you do not care, it does not matter. And it is mm. as simple as that. Like nobody ever walks into Ford and said, can I have an ethical car? Like it's it's not a thing. That's Adrian's adage. Ad I'm going to call it Adrian's adage from there. <laughs> um, it's, again, it's only relevant if you care. And if you ask the right questions, if somebody is saying I'm 100% ethical, I've got 100% track and trace, they have a duty to prove that. I think I opened this with that. If if they are saying that, they need to prove it. Otherwise, it is just words. I could say, for example, that, I don't know, all my crystals cure cancer. Um, like, let's just go absolutely massive. All of my crystals cure cancer. Don't don't try it out. Just believe me. Because that's essentially what they're asking you to do. Joe, if you rearrange the, uh, the letters in the word, the Bible, you get microwave. Don't try it out, though. Just believe me. Because mm -hmm. that is essentially what these people are asking you to do without the proof is just words. So what would you expect back from people? Um, a concise answer and an honest answer, because you're, mm -hmm. I, I, I could tell you where 80 percent of my stock comes from down to a rough location. I could tell you the other 50 percent down to a pretty much precise location. But if I don't know, I'm not going to lie to you. Aid, what about yourself? Yeah, I think um, a couple of things there. I mean, we've so we've got two shops um and obviously the internet business and the website and everything else and i think in all of our customers i've only ever been asked four times where our crystals come from which i think goes back to what you know what ricky said about you know do people actually care we make a point of before people even ask of saying we're not ethical we never claim to be ethical um however we can show you this and we've showed people in the shop you know videos of the mines where people are walking around or the factories where people walk around with like my name on a piece of paper yeah that's um, a good we, one. we had a, a a guy from brazil yesterday we really oddly a fellow from indonesia contacted us and said you know would you like to buy some amethyst geodes and we said yes but not from you because amethyst geodes won't come from indonesia so obviously you're just adding another step in the in the supply chain and you know you've got um geodes going from a carbon footprint point of view from brazil to you and then you to me so no <laughs> so weirdly about 20 minutes later he's his supplier in brazil contacted me and said um this fella said that you don't want to deal with him um because of carbon footprint he's passed me your details um so and i'm based in brazil would you like to deal with me instead which I'm, in 24 years in the crystal industry i've never known that to happen yeah where a supplier has kind of backstepped and gone well okay if you don't want to buy from me buy from the original guy which i thought was phenomenal i actually said to the guy from indonesia look you know yeah i'm not going to buy stuff that you've imported but i will be buying stuff from you which say, is which you is local trust um, him now because you know, he's that, getting that, it that to me yeah that to me gives a huge amount of trust yeah. um but i think yeah absolutely right you know if, if if people want to know and if you ask your seller where'd you get it from etc cetera, etc cetera, if they can't answer you instantly they're going to be making some stuff up our our speciality has been and always will be um indian minerals you know we sell more zeolites and have more zeolites probably than anybody else in the country and you know kind of um i've got quite an expert knowledge on on indian zeolites and i can tell you the mine that it came from every single piece we have i can tell you the mine it came from i've seen the mine videos and um, where things have come from we've actually produced 
not produce or what, what's the word? We've actually shown some of the videos on our Instagram um, page <laughs> of actually how some of the crystals, like the Pentagonite and Cavern site, for instance, are being mined. So that is that is that kind of openness and honesty, I think, that you need to be asking of all of your sellers. And I wonder if that's why you don't get people asked, because you do it first. Maybe. So there's that trust. Maybe. 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 Okay, so to finish with, let's explore the idea of where this industry is going, what needs to be put in place, and what is needed, hopefully long term, so that we can start to maybe one day suggest ethical would be nice to make it a thing can i ask you all to give suggestions ricky do you want to go first well there is a way to start it and i've actually spoken to adrian and his missus very very briefly on this um so i don't want to say it because somebody might steal the idea from me but i know how to do it question mark (laughs) dramatic ending is that where the podcast just goes dumb yeah (laughs) just finish ryan do you want i mean it's hard for ryan to add to that now but ryan what would you say (laughs) um see i think the best way to do it is is like the makeup industry had that change that's got the the i'm sure it's called b accreditation i should have looked at this uh, before the show and now to be fair but i'm sure it's b accredited um, which is everything from the environmental impact to the ethical impacts to the uh, fair work. Um, so yeah, as a bit different to fair trade, but it, it's all of those different things which are effectively ticked off. Um, but as Aid said at the show, like there are certain accreditations which are quite simply a case of paying a membership, and it can't mm. be that. There has to effectively be a, a crystal council. Um, that, that's the the only real way of doing it collective across the industry from retail to factory to mines um, and the different countries and effectively that council is there to to uh, administrate is that the word i don't know administrate the, mm. the the process from start to finish effectively yeah that makes sense aid would you agree or could you add um i'm probably going to be um going to throw a real spanner in the works here and i don't think that it can work and i don't think it ever will work and I think that's um, that's probably not not the best kind of attitude to start with. I think you know if you say something won't work, then you won't put any passion into actually making it work. But um, I think that the whole industry is so massive; it is a multi-billion-dollar industry spanning the entire globe. And I think to try and bring some kind of regulation into that would be a, an almost impossible job. You would have to have an army of people trying to make that work who then would benefit from that they will be it will be open to so much um barbarism and backhanders you know you can absolutely imagine somebody going out to have a look at a mine in madagascar china wherever it may be and saying well i don't think you're ethical and then somebody goes okay well how about this envelope that's full of cash does that say we're ethical Mm. and people are people you know people can be bribed we you know people can be bribed we know that the world over people can be bribed then of course how much of an impact does that have on the end price of a thing if if a company says well um okay if i sign up to be part of this ethical crystal council how much is it going to cost me if it's five grand a year ten grand a year whatever type of that accreditation that cost has to be borne out by the cost of the crystals which means your end product goes up um and then of course the the industry is so big it is so big that it would only take you could have 10 people sign up and go okay well i'm going to be ethical 
I think the industry is so big worldwide that, and, and as was proven at the show, you know, we've already said at the show, you know, when, when, we, when we asked the question, how many people here um, value the, the, ethical, the efficacy of their stones when they decide whether they're going to buy them or not, less than 20% of people would say yes. So you would, uh, you would effectively, if you extrapolated that out, you would only have less than 20% of the world's crystal industry would actually sign up to that. And the other 80% would go, well, I don't want to be part of this crystal council. I'm still selling hundreds of thousands of millions of pounds worth of crystals every year. I don't need to be part of that. I'm not saying it's a bad idea by any stretch of imagination and anything that will bring some kind of clarity um, to that industry would be amazing. Anything that would wheedle out some of the abject charlatans that are in the business mm -hmm. that are claiming that they are um 100 ethical the ethical source they have track and trace if you can wheedle out those types of people at source that for me would be better i think yeah i think globally you get very few people to sign up for it but i think if you could look at start at home start at the people who are on instagram and on hand and have websites that are claiming to be something which they are abjectly not and cannot in any way shape or form prove that what they say is true they're the people I think that need to be taken to task to try and do it in a global measure would be massive undertaking and almost probably impossible from a logistics point of view. So would that be your best case right now is to focus more almost regionally and perfect it here as much as possible? Mm. Yeah. And then see what happens from there. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think absolutely. I think if, if we can start as a collective and a lot of that is, is of course, um, you know, kind of consumer power as well. As we've been discussing throughout this, this we've stated numerous times throughout this whole discussion, ask them, okay, well, you say you're, you're ethical. Okay, well, prove it. Prove to me you're ethical. Of course, nobody's going to say who their supplier is because that's corporately sensitive information. Um, and I'm sure everyone here is, you know, that, that does sell crystals has had people contact them and go, oh, I'm just getting into the crystal industry. Can you tell me where's the best place to buy from? Can you give me all your suppliers' details, please? Because I want to start my own company. Well, no, you can't. You can't have that. That's taken 24 years of working up trust, um, certainly from our company, to actually be able to get that information. Um, but I think if we started taking to task and consumer power of asking those sellers who say, oh, my stuff's ethical, I'm 100% ethical, um take those people to task really 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 dig deep and find out are they telling the truth before we start looking at the great big global picture here start taking those people to task mm. so good anyone else want to ask ryan yeah just uh i think you, you, i'd say about the consumer side it's probably actually the better way of looking at it um say regulating the sellers and the industry is <laughs> thing but effectively if there could be information, a book, a um, spreadsheet, if you will, what quite simply just said, Rose Quartz, Madagascar, ethics, child mining, um, slave labor, etc., Lapis, Taliban. And, you know, you go on that list, uh, Myanmar and Jade, uh, opium addiction, heroin, you name it. So just a collective list for consumers to actually look at a list of crystals and say, well, okay, and it's not, of course, it's not the be all and end all of ethics because there are ways of ethically doing certain things. But it's just if you're buying these stones, these are the concerns, these are the ethics what could be related to the stones, just the education side of it. That reminds me of something Aid may be creating right now. Is that correct, Aid? Yeah, I just wanted to jump in on something Ryan said, and it's something that we haven't um, discussed already. Um, 
Ricky quite eloquently talked about all the facts um, around Lapis, but I think obviously um, Ryan just mentioned Myanmar, Jade, there as well. There are sellers in this country that are claiming to be 100% ethical and they're selling Burmese slash Myanmar Jade. Absolutely impossible. It is utterly, utterly impossible to do that. Um, all of the Myanmar slash Burmese jade industry is governed by two warring factions. You have the military hunter government and the um, the Karen Liberation Army, and they are decimating massive, massive parts of the environment and the land and the geography and the people that live there, indigenous peoples, out so that they can get into those mines. Eighty uh, percent of the um, Miners that are um, mining for the jade are functioning heroin addicts. 60% of those are HIV positive. All of that jade then goes into the Chinese market. Um, the Chinese then sell cheap grade heroin back to um, the uh, Myanmar slash Burmese governments and the two warring factions just to keep mm -hmm. that cycle going. And like we said, anybody that says they are selling wholly ethical, I work with a tiny little artisan family workshop set up in Myanmar, abject lies. It cannot be proven at all. And in fact, the person who, the, the, the seller actually claimed that, we invited them onto our live show and said, okay, look, you've got all of your followers. We've got ours. Let's not be pugilistic about this. Let's not be confrontational. Let's have an open adult educational conversation. And you tell Everybody, tell the world, all of our followers, all of your followers, about how you do this. Prove to them how you do it to give yourself some transparency and some accountability and show people how robust you are in your supply chain. First thing they did was they blocked us. Straight away blocked us, um, and they have absolutely no intention at all of proving their narrative. They would sooner block you than actually have an open, on honest conversation. I've just got to say eh, that that is categorically not true because they um smuggled out some bracelets for 12 pounds <laughs> yeah 12 pounds <laughs> yeah i mean if somebody is going to well, go through all of that burmese jade in particular is just an absolute no. mind it, is, it's, it's, it, it can't be done and if somebody is saying oh it can and i've got these bracelets here for, for 12 pounds you're telling me Somebody in Myanmar went through what they go through in Myanmar to get the jade it's out of the ground, isn't it? They've, and they've they've made it. They've sourced the product. They've made it. They've shipped it, and they've given it to the end user, the seller. And you're selling it for twelve quid, and they've been paid fairly. I'm sorry, no, it's it's, it's nonsense, isn't it? Well, absolutely nonsense. What a thing to end on, guys. Any final points? That is quite an ending, quite dramatic. Um, yeah, I, th I think probably I, I'd be interested to know what everybody's red flag is when it comes to somebody who says that they're ethical what, what is the very first kind of the red flag for everybody when when somebody says are you ethical or somebody even worse says i am ethical what, what yeah. would everyone's red flag be that's the red flag right there i'm 100 percent ethical yeah. and i have track and trace as soon as somebody says that i'm sorry but you're just a liar yeah we'll say we can't agree more i mean we saw a company advertising, I mean, there's, there's hundreds of advertise ethical, but uh, when asked, they said, oh yes, we have some crystals which are 100% ethical and the others are semi-ethical because semi-ethical is that what <laughs> <laughs> I'm semi-ethical. It is or isn't, no, there's no semi-ethical. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I've, I've so semi got the flu, like it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> semi-pregnant, well, you either yeah. are or you are not, yeah.
So, um, yeah, I, I think for me, I, I agree. For me, the biggest red flag is when somebody says, I'm 100% ethical. And it has been proven throughout this industry over the last couple of years where people have claimed to be ethical. And then all of a sudden, when they've been called out and they're about to backpedal or have put up such a shield of protection to stop them being questioned, mm. that, that, that for me is the big red flag, is that when somebody says, I'm ethical, straight away, I walk away. It, 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 if I had hair on my head, it, it would it would stand up on end because for me, when somebody says I'm ethical, um, it's a lie. Yeah, just got no time for you, mate. It, it cannot be proved. Yeah, I, yeah, I have, I have absolutely no time for people who say that they I'm 100 ethical. Okay, so I think the best way to finish is I imagine people listening right now will have questions and they'll start to understand that you guys can probably answer those questions and direct people in the right way. So can we work through and you guys just finish by sharing your business details, reminding them of your name, all of the above. So Ricky, do you want to go first? Yeah, so Ricky um, from Carpe Crystals. I've got a shop based down in Maidstone. You can find us on Instagram at, at Carpe Crystals or carpecrystals.com. And honestly, feel free to ask us any question based on ethics at any time of day or night, and we will answer it, honestly. Thank you. Ryan? Yep, so uh, I'm Ryan Kehoe, um, I manage Crystal Noir. On Instagram, we are Crystal Noir Crystals, but we're based in Stourbridge. Um, I say pop us on Google, you'll get every bit of information. And again, uh, anything to do with the ethics of crystals, geology, um, or just, just general questions, feel free to ask. I'm more than happy to answer. And if not, A to genius, I come to Ricky. We, we've, we've got the collective answer. A, do you want to finish? Well, that's a, a quite a compliment. I wouldn't say Thank genius. You. Thank you, Ryan. Well, <laughs> with age comes great knowledge, Ricky. You'll get there one day. Um, so, um, yeah, so I'm Adrian Rose. I'm one half of Northwest Crystals. Uh, we are, we are, our head office is based up in Clitheroe and Lancashire. We also have another shop down in, in Truro and Cornwall. On Instagram, we are, I think it's at Northwest Crystals UK. So, yeah, ask us anything you want. What I would say, though, in closing, is that anybody that's listening to this, remember that facts trump feelings. Mm. That's just how it is. Facts do trump feelings. We've been accused by um, certain sellers um, of being bullies because we've told the truth, because it doesn't fit their narrative. So whilst a lot of the answers and the, and the conversation uh, that's happened today may not fit your narrative, you may not like it, you may think that all three of us are being bullies by calling people out, even though we haven't mentioned any names. Um, the fact is, facts trump feelings. And unfortunately, these are the facts and they're all fact checkable. So whether you may like it or may not like it, the fact is what has been said is the truth. That's a lovely ending, eh? Thank you. And I would encourage anyone right now who is feeling those emotions, because there are so many people out there who'd be listening who love crystals want to do the right thing, but also want to be allowed to enjoy their hobby and their passion. So please contact all three if you can to get some understandings on the crystals that you are purchasing. And of course, Alex and Mary at Wisdom on Wellness is always also there to support you. Thank you, everybody. My name is Gemma Petherbridge. I will be added, I'm sure, to the show notes as well if you want to ask me any questions. And until the next episode, have a nice week.